0: Now, as the dice roll, brought to you today by Air. You you kind of need it. No, I
1: mean really, you literally can't live without it.
0: Air.
2: Previously on Cautious Optimism.
3: Do you guys proceed to the Dulonia Research Center with your 10 supercomputers that you were supposed to deliver a month ago?
2: We do have this opportunity to possibly get the money from these computers to then make the ship better to then come back and get the guild.
3: I have a little bit of trouble with the idea of stealing computers from scientists.
2: What if the scientists on the station are all Lorndons?
3: Well, I'm Carl Johnson, and I bring you upgrades. Our mutual friends wanted to make sure that you were prepared to defend yourself if that happens again. We have a ship-mounted missile launcher.
2: So let me get this straight. You're Captain Johnson from the Flyhard, and you've come here bearing gifts. I guess wishing really does work.
3: i don't care if they call me hey you just let me do my job rico humanoid i'm observing you cat person it's for science toss a slimy gelatinous Mm, what are you hauling goo thing thank you cautious optimism welcome to the station Okay, uh, I believe that Rico was going to scan the missiles for nefariousness.
0: Uh, yes. Yes, Captain, I can go and take care of that. No no worries at all. Um, Thank you. Shipcom. Beep, beep, boop. Hi. We need to have a look at these missiles and just make sure they're all on the up and up and they're not, uh, you know, nothing wrong with their guidance systems or... Uh, They're not going to come back and immediately blow the ship out of the sky. Should we use them? Anything like that?
4: Yeah, it would absolutely suck if they were banana bread seeking missiles.
0: Yes, (laughs) it would. It would. That would be very, very problematic.
3: Would it not be a poor design for the missile to blow up the very vessel that launched it?
0: Well, I think at the moment we trust the guild about as far as we could throw them, which wouldn't be very far. So we are just erring on the side of caution. Do you have a scan you can run whilst I plug into their computer guidance systems and see that it's all okay?
3: If you open their access panel, I can conduct such a scan.
0: Okay. So she's going to do that, plug it in, whatever. All right.
3: Make a computer chucky, science C type roll, please.
0: I'm going to make a computer programming roll. And I rolled an eight against a 15. Oh. Success by lots and lots. Success by seven.
3: Wow. Okay. First of all, they do not appear to have been tampered with in any way. But secondly, and this may be something you care about, they appear to have been manufactured on Galaganar, which is outside the League of Planets and has a notorious reputation, I believe you know.
0: Yes. And is that not where her uncle's supposed to have died.
3: Oh. Yep. I think I I may be confused. Galaginar was the planet that has had many many wars, they including they fought a war with the feline people.
0: Oh, okay. I thought that was the dog planet.
3: Well, we were vague about that. It seems like there was a war between the dog planet.
0: Yeah. Definitely. The Galagonarians fought a war with the felines. Uncle Peter pronounced dead on Galaganar. Yeah.
3: Yes. Oh, that's the same one. Okay. Yeah. Well, then there but you go. But they did
0: also fight a war with cat people, and they are now suffering from economic collapse because they lost all of their wars everywhere.
3: Yes. Oh, my goodness. This is becoming a very complex universe. <laughs> so, yeah, all of those things.
0: All of those things. Gosh. Uh, Captain, yes. interesting point. They seem fine. The guidance systems seem completely perfect. However, these were manufactured on Galagonar, which is interesting, both because it's outside the League of Planets, although, I mean, I guess the Guild don't care about that much, but wasn't that where your uncle died? Allegedly, yes.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Could just be a coincidence. Not necessarily because of the conversation we just had, but... <laughs> (laughs) That is definitely something we need to keep in mind. I feel like we're going to have to go to Galaganar at some point.
0: Hmm. I mean, it's not a terribly dangerous planet these days. They lost wars with absolutely everybody. I guess manufacturing illicit missiles and the like is a way to earn some money. They certainly need some of that. They could
2: just be selling them because they have no use for them anymore because they lost the war.
0: Possibly. I mean, economically, it would make sense for them to continue manufacturing and selling them, to be honest. But they're not exactly the most sensible planet in the world.
2: Well, I won't disagree with you there. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for doing the scan. You're welcome, Captain.
1: In the process, we've made sure there's no like bugs, either listening device bugs or giant man-eating bugs, um, <laughs> because we'd be happy with neither of
3: those being part of this delivery. I think we can assume that along with the scan that Rico just did, she would have found any listening bugs or anything like that, had there been any present. Okay, good. So you're good to go there. And Hank was observing the actual physical delivery and didn't see anything suspicious go on with all that. And you, as yet, have not seen any giant monster bugs.
0: This delivery is certified zat free.
3: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> to just put everything in perspective for the listening audience, I am currently editing the episode, episode 13, 12 or 13, where Kyan gets his ass handed to him by a bug.
0: I mean, it was quite a ferocious bug, as it turned out.
4: Yeah. It was a big bug. In Hank's defense, he wasn't really all there that day. No. (laughs) Very true. No, it's an excellent
3: way to put it, too. He wasn't quite himself.
4: (laughs) Well, I guess we should get to the physical install of this. Shipcom, have you analyzed the front of the ship and determined the best place to mount? this missile launcher beep,
3: beep, boop. there is an unused section of the ship immediately under the bridge which could be converted into a missile room and with the proper modification to the hull could serve as the launching port
4: outstanding job Shipcom. i will gather up all of my tools and welding equipment and a spacesuit and i will head to this room very well, and I guess since they kept their hover dolly, we'll just have to use uh, Kyan's hover dolly to get this this heavy piece of equipment in there. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: is he is very protective. He keeps interrupting the whole process. Go ah, watch watch this watch the sides. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right. I'm going to just go ahead and say that you transport all the stuff without a missile falling off of the hover dolly and exploding or anything crazy like that happening. Although the thought occurred to me. Let's get some engineering roles for the installation going.
4: Well, prior to that, I would like to put some verbal fail-safes into place. (laughs) Okay. I know how space works. So as I'm putting on my spacesuit, before I put my helmet on, I'm gonna talk to the shipcom and be like, so as soon as I get my spacesuit on, we're going to have to depressurize this room so that we don't suck everything in here out of here. I guess we need to get anything not nailed down out of the room.
3: My initial observation of the room is that everything in it is devoid of value, with the exception, of course, of yourself and the missile launcher.
4: I was just more worried about getting hit in the back of the head by a toaster or something.
3: <laughs> Very good. I mean, if you want to tidy up the room, that'll just take a few minutes. You've got the hover dolly for anything heavy. You can totally do that. You can. The room is empty. <laughs> Kyan helped with that. That's not a problem. There you go.
4: With the empty room, I guess the door has a... Not an airlock, but a a pressurized seal.
3: Yeah, there's probably like an emergency bulkhead type thing that you could secure that would be airtight.
4: Okay, Shipcom, engage this room's emergency bulkhead situation.
3: There's a loud
4: thud. All right.
3: And you're secure.
4: And I will put on the space helmet and turn the airflow on and... All right, Shipcom, depressurize the room, please. Beep, beep, boop.
3: Beginning depressurization sequence. Please hold on to something. There's nothing to hold on to. Well, I
4: I attach my tether to something in the room that is nailed down.
3: Very good. And all the air is sucked out of one of the vents in the ceiling, and you are now in a vacuum.
4: Outstanding. I would like to engineer this machine into the ship.
3: Sounds good. Let's roll some engineering dice.
4: All right. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. That's a failure by two.
3: All right. Failure by two. Installing a weapon system. What could possibly go wrong?
2: Oh, God.
3: So you create the opening for it uh, pretty successfully, and you go ahead and get the missile launcher mounted. And in fact, everything seems to
4: work out just fine. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Looks good to you. Oh, Lord. All right. So Todd's holding a move. Got it.
2: Look, is this thing installed directly under where I sit?
4: Yes. (laughs) Potentially,
3: yes.
2: Son of a... (laughs) (gasps) Oh, dear. You're killing me, Hank. Literally.
3: (laughs) It appears we have successfully installed the missile launcher. Good job.
4: All right, repressurize the room, and once that's done, we can release the bulkhead.
3: And you hear the reassuring sound as air floods into the room, and then a smaller thunk as the bulkhead disengages. I am interfacing with the missile launcher now. It passes initial checks. The missiles must be loaded manually, but I can launch it from the bridge or anywhere that you issue a command from.
4: Roger that, and I will load one missile into the launcher. All right.
3: Surely
0: there's some way of testing it without actually using a live missile. When
3: you could dry fire it. No. (laughs) I wouldn't. That's how you break guns.
2: Yeah, you don't dry fire.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's not really good
4: for it.
0: But maybe it would come with some kind of... I don't know. Dummy. Like, cause there's only
4: three missiles. Okay. Okay. So here's what I would like to do. Surely I can't have three horrible rolls back to back. Oh God. I would like to engineer a dummy rocket so that we could test this thing. All right. Using an old thermos, a little bit of acetylene from my torch, and some, I don't know, what else, uh, ignition system, um, and my automatic sparker for my welding machine.
3: Oh. Okay. I think it's going to take you about a day's time to do that, because, I mean, you are trying to make something that's going to be the appropriate size and weight and everything, right? So... Okay. Yeah. I'll go ahead and make an engineering roll, and and let's see
4: how it goes. Y'all yeah, tell me what the output is. I can't look.
2: <laughs> it's an eighteen. I'm just kidding. No critical <laughs> failure.
4: <laughs> Even
3: though it was unarmed, the fake missile <laughs> explodes. <laughs>
4: Success by two.
3: All right, you have a reasonable facsimile without the explosive bits of a
4: missile. Yes, I made sure not to put explosive bits, just propulsion bits. Sure, sure. All right, shipcom, I have this dummy rocket ready to test fire. Can you notify everybody on the ship that we will be running a weapons test momentarily?
3: Beep, beep boop. Shipwide announcement. Weapon test commencing. All crew to your battle stations. Beep beep.
1: Has repositioned the hover gurney back in the sick bay and is ready.
2: I'm of course sitting on top of it in my pilot's chair, basically in that Doctor Strange Love esque. I'm just gonna ride this missile launcher. <laughs> 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 I would know no difference.
0: Rico's in the kitchen, making
4: some more coffee, I'm reading some stuff on her iPad.
0: I love our battle stations. <laughs> Unconcerned by what's going
4: on. All right, Shipcom, ready to fire test missile. Please give us a three-second countdown and make sure that everyone on board can hear it. And engage.
3: Missile launching in. Three, two, one. And Hank, where are you as the missile launches? In the missile room. Okay. So essentially, the kickback from the missile launch is more than the weld around the hull can handle, causing the missile launcher to throw itself back and smash into the far back wall. And the whole room depressurizes, of course, because it's no longer properly filling the hole for the muzzle. Now, from the bridge... Captain Rory can see the missile shoot straight and true right out the front of the ship. And everything looks good until you hear the terrible thud of the rocket launcher hitting the back room right underneath you.
2: I say, nice. Wait, what the, what the heck?
4: Permission to make a deck saving throw here. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay, go ahead. What happens?
3: <laughs> well, right now you're in the vacuum of space. What, what does Hank do in this moment? I mean, you're in the room, right? But the air is being sucked out and will be sucked out in just two seconds. So what is your reaction? I have two seconds. Shipcom, emergency lockdown, missile room. You hear the thud of the bulkhead closing?
4: I've got two seconds. Oh, God, and I just locked myself in the room. I never declared I took my space suit off, so I'm just going to put my helmet on. I don't know what else to do.
3: Uh Okay, I think that's fair. Let's make a dexterity check to see if you can put your helmet on quickly enough.
4: Doubtful. Oh, success by two.
3: You very deftly get the helmet on as the air is sucked out of the. Let's also make a strength check to see if you're able to avoid getting sucked to the hole itself.
4: Fell by (laughs) five.
3: All right. Uh, Well, the good news is you have an airtight seal on your space helmet, so you're breathing, but you are knocked off your feet. And I imagine Rory, as you're looking out the window and wondering what the big thud was, (laughs) sees Hank feet first going out of the ship on the same trajectory, but much slower than the missile just did.
0: Surely there's some kind
3: of depressurization alarm. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, we've got a bee-oo, bee-oo, bee-oo all over the ship.
0: So going to go running to the bridge with her coffee to find out what's going on.
4: I think in a forlorn moment, you were bringing Hank a cup of coffee only to see him fly by the front windshield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh,
3: that seems suboptimal.
2: Um uh... <laughs> I jump in the pilot seat, I start to fly after him, and I say, Shipcom, report.
3: Man, overboard.
0: (laughs) (sighs) Shipcom, how could he be overboard? There were no... Why is there a hole in the side of the ship? What happened?
3: There appears to have been an undetected fault in the installation of the missile launcher. During firing of the test projectile, the rocket launcher unit became unstuck from the hull, propelled backwards, and then the hole cut for the missile launcher's muzzle depressurized the room and sucked Engineer Hank out. Oh
2: dear. I would like to do a Fast and Furious 360 and fly up to him, spin around, With the cargo bay open and scoop him up into the cargo bay.
3: (laughs) That will look fantastic in the movie version of this. (laughs) You're going to need a piloting role.
2: Yeah. Success by... Where's my sheet? Success by three.
3: Okay, so Hank, as you're flying through space, uh, not unlike Superman, except feet first... So completely unlike Superman,
4: and unpropulsed. Yeah, I
3: have no no self propulsion, no control. Yeah, so not like Superman at all.
4: Probably should have grabbed the welder. Could have used that for
3: propulsion. Oh, that would have been. You won't need it. <laughs> you had very limited time to consider your options. I know. So, as you look up from your perspective, I suppose, you see the cautious optimism flying backwards towards you, right? Mhm. And are you opening the cargo bay doors? Is that right? Yeah. So, you're trying to scoop them up in the cargo bay. And yeah, you see the ship slowly envelop you, and then at a certain point, the artificial gravity starts to affect you and you fall unceremoniously to the floor of the cargo bay. Thud.
2: Kyan, get to the cargo bay.
3: I
0: think probably Rico would have gone and got Kyan whilst all this was
1: kind of... Yeah, I think I'm already there.
3: Is everything pressurized and okay now? Can I, like, get in there to him? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that Rory closed the door as soon as he was inside and it pressurized after a few seconds and you're good. Let's go ahead and do a medical check. All right.
1: That is a 11, 12, 13.
3: It was close. It is a success by one. All right. On your initial inspection, there's a lot of bruises. I feel like Hank was probably banged around a little bit during the process of exiting the show.
4: And re-entry.
3: And re-entry, yes. But he got his helmet on quickly enough that there was no sort of asphyxiation or any anything that would be long-term harmful.
4: Hank, you're fine. Kind gives him a hug. <laughs> Hank accepts it gladly. Mean a
3: space engineer is a dangerous job. Yeah, seriously, dude. <laughs> like, like, we need to get you, like,
1: armor or something, because this is very concerning.
0: Rico's going to wander into the cargo bay, still holding a cup of coffee. She'll offer the coffee to Hank. What went wrong there, exactly?
4: I believe first I would like to make a dexterity roll to see if the coffee sloshes in my shaky hands. Go for it, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's all over the place.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's more in the pot. What exactly happened there?
4: Uh, a- as best I can tell, this this rust bucket is not strong enough to hold a quality weld. You've seen my work. I can weld, but yet the weld's broke. Hmm. Ergo, the problem has to be the whole integrity of this ship.
0: Okay. If you say so, you are the engineer. Thank you for the coffee. Uh, you're welcome.
2: So I finally make it back to the cargo bay.
0: It's okay, Captain. I, I think he's relatively unharmed, although he did just spill the coffee all over the cargo bay floor.
2: So, what happened, Hank? Apparently, it's the
4: ship's fault. <laughs> Her eyes narrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I, I believe she might have taken something a little out of context. My pride was the most wounded thing in this interaction, and I may have personally attacked the banana bread ship. Something happened and it appeared that a weld broke loose, meaning that when the dummy rocket went out, the launcher came in, thus leaving a depressurized hole that sucked me out into space.
2: Can we reinforce that room to match the force that the missile launcher is going
0: to exact on it?
4: I shall consult with the gods, but hopefully. The gods being the dice, obviously.
0: Sure, yeah. (laughs) It <laughs> seems like we spent quite a lot of time recently making holes in the side of the ship. We should probably uh, stop doing that. Yeah.
1: Can't we just slap a bunch of metal on it? I mean, it's the shape of banana bread, so it's got to be pretty it's got to be pretty squared at some point.
2: It is accepting of all types of scrap metal at this point. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Also comprised of all types.
1: Yeah, just as every time we see something that's got scrap metal on it, let's just take it and just throw it onto the hull because it can't hurt it at this point. Yeah.
4: So I suppose I should lick my wounds and go repair the... Install that I broke.
2: Well, how many days are we out from the space station?
4: Well, it was a
3: week, and then install time and testing, you're probably a week and a half away.
2: Okay, well, why don't you take a couple days off? We can leave that part of the ship unpressurized and, you know, just relax a little bit.
4: Shipcom, do you agree with the captain's assessment, or should we put priority on fixing that hole? The emergency bulkhead
3: is holding. I don't register any atmosphere leaking. It is not an immediate concern.
2: I'd narrow my eyes at Shipcom. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <of> eye narrowing
4: <laughs>
3: I agree with the captain.
4: I'll just lay down where I'm at. Exhausted. <laughs> defeated. And traumatized and defeated and all of the negative things.
1: Kyan offers him the uh, hover gurney.
4: I lie on the hover gurney.
1: All right. He takes him back to medbay to just get to, maybe even put a mild sedative in his system so that he can just relax. That was trauma.
4: Great. In the upcoming episodes, I'm going to have to roll for nightmares now.
1: Aww. <laughs> oh Poor
3: Hank. That's pretty terrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: The engineering has been more dangerous for Hank than <laughs> anything else, really. Yeah.
4: All I can say is you guys better hope an Ice Planet doesn't offer me a job. Hank is out of (laughs) here.
2: That's fair.
1: I would have thought it was Rico that had the nine lives. Hello, I'm Joe Hogan, the editor of As The Dice Roll. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Cautious Optimism. Lyle McKerns asked regarding the brought to you by Cold Opens, do you script it for Rob, or does he get sneak peeks? Thanks for your question, Lyle. I script it. But I have to say he is a very patient man, because sometimes I don't get him the copy until the morning of a show going out. But there's been several times when he's given me multiple readings to choose from, and there have even been a few times where he's given me alternate lines where he thought of something funnier. He records the copy I send him, and then his alternate copy so I can choose. And that's because Rob's professional and awesome. Several people this week have said that they enjoy the cold opens, and I'm so glad you guys like them. I've wondered on more than one occasion if anyone cared and if they were worth it. So it's good to hear that people get a kick out of them and do and actually enjoy them. And that's exactly why we love hearing feedback from our listeners. So go follow us on Twitter at AsTheDiceRollRP, on Instagram at AsTheDiceRoll, and if you want to chat with us in real time, go check out our Slack channel over on the Geek2Geek Media Network Slack which you can find by going to the Contact Us tab of the network website at geek2geekmedia.com. And finally, you can also email us at podcast at asthedicerollcast.com or leave us a voice message by clicking on the link on our website at asthedicerollcast.com and I may include your comments in the mid-show intermission. October is here and spooky season has begun, so make sure you are on our social media so you can get all the information on the fun things that are coming up. What better way to celebrate spooky season than with zombies? We're talking zombies on Geektitude through the end of October. Last week, we talked about the smart zombies of George Romero's Day of the Dead and Land of the Dead, and Katie, who plays Beth over on What Is Not, will be joining me again as we talk about both World War Z the book and World War Z the movie. Bama is taking hiatus from King of the Heel and Twitch streams as he is currently in the process of moving. But you can still check him out over on Farming Simulated, where he discusses all things Farming Simulator with Todd every other week. You can also catch Todd on his podcast, Nerdberg Review. You can listen to Kelly this Monday on the latest episode of Mating Habits of the Modern Geek. And if you're into World of Warcraft, make sure to check out Raven on Girls Gone Wow. Also, make sure to check out the geek to geek Media Network's Patreon. For just $5 a month, you can get access to the geek to geek magazine. The latest issue is out, and it's about historical geekdom, all the geek stuff that came before. That's it for me this week. I'll be back on Friday, October 8th for our next episode of Cautious Optimism. Until then, let's see if the crew can finally deliver those supercomputers after a quick commercial break. When toxic culture has you down.
2: When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back
1: and enjoy watching a video game
3: So in the interest of advancing the plot, I'm going to go ahead and say that over the next week or whatever of travel time, Hank is able to successfully mount the rocket launcher and reinforce it with a structure behind it so that it will not have a repeat of the accident from before. In a week and a half, you even have time to make another test and the test goes successfully. And everything seems great with the rocket launcher. Is there anything else you guys want to do during the last week and a half? I mean, Hank is going to be pretty busy just doing rocket launcher things during that time. But
2: I got nothing. So general captain stuff.
3: All right.
0: Yeah, I feel like we've had enough excitement. I don't.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Joe? Are you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. So at long last, you guys are arriving at the Delunian Space Station. Our science station, I should say, because it is a fairly small station as things go. As it comes into visual range, you can see it's a sphere with three smaller spheres sticking out, each facing a different one of the three stars that don't orbit the station exactly, but are going around the station. The station's the center point between the three stars. The station itself is hard to see, Dark blue against the blackness of space until it passes in front of a star, during which the dark blue stands out against the yellowish-orange of the star. You see, there's a clearly defined docking bay on the very top of the station. It's like you would land on the roof and you can tell from, or at least Rory could tell from all her experience with space stations, That when you land on the roof, a little elevator, whatever, would lower you and your ship into the station and then the ceiling would close up and you'd be inside in that way.
2: So I hail the station.
3: After a moment, you get a reply and Shipcom says, the station has responded with a beep.
2: Uh, Shipcom, what does that mean?
3: I can play you their response.
2: Okay, thank you. Could you scan the station and see if you can... See if anything's amiss or out of place.
3: I am having difficulty scanning the station. <sighs> Sensor readings are very anomalous. I suspect the gravity, coupled with whatever research they are doing, may be interfering with the scans and possibly the comms.
2: Shipcom broadcasts this to the space station. Beep, beep, this is the cautious optimism. We are seeking permission to dock with the base and hand over this delivery. Please respond. Over.
3: Incoming response.
2: All right, Shipcom, open up a communication channel to the ship. Beep, beep, boop. Uh, Crew, the space station's beeping at me. They're not having any response. I, I feel like we need to go ahead and just dock with them and see what's up.
1: Maybe put a little sticker on the door that says, hey, try to make your delivery. <laughs> we'll try get in two to three days.
2: Exactly. <laughs> 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 So I prepare the ship to dock, and we'll we'll go from there.
3: All right. As you're approaching the docking port of the top of the space station, suddenly all heck breaks loose. Sparks and poofs of smoke and everything start popping out all around you, all throughout the ship. Everybody, wherever you are on the ship, lights are blinking and flashing and sparking and going crazy. Then the ship loses power entirely. Oh,
2: God.
3: You also all feel for a moment, for maybe a second or two, a lot of pain, as if your whole body was being stretched and it's awful and you have pounding headaches. And When this all ends, the ship is no longer powered. You're floating towards the station in the direction you were before this all happened. And you can all hear hissing sounds as if air is evacuating from tiny little holes here, there, and everywhere throughout the ship.
2: So, uh, red alert. I don't know if we have that on the ship, but I say it um, <laughs> into, into the comms. A Shipcom, report.
3: There's no response.
2: Ah, great. We live here now. All right. Can I tell if we're at least getting closer to the space station? Are we being pulled in?
3: Yes, you are getting closer to the space station, although you would probably notice right away the station's no longer dark blue like it used to be. It appears to be kind of a light yellowish color now.
2: Oh, God. So I scream out into the back of the ship. The comms are probably not working. Everybody put your suits on! And I get up and go put on my spacesuit.
0: I feel like Rico definitely would have reached for her spacesuit wherever she was. Same. And then probably made her way to the bridge to see what the captain was up to.
4: Based on prior logic, I never declared taking it off. I guess I still have an <laughs> owner.
3: <it>. You just <laughs> lived in your space just, yeah.
4: <laughs> I may need to take the disadvantage of a constant fear of being sucked into space.
3: <laughs> that would be good role play. Character development. A moment or two later, you see a drone exit the top of the space station. It it looks similar to the one that you saw when they were bringing the missile launcher on board your ship that they used to transport it. And this drone is heading towards you and clamps onto your ship and then starts pulling you towards the cargo bay on the top of the station. It sets you down on the cargo bay landing pad. As artificial gravity starts to affect the ship, and the ship settles onto it, the elevator starts lowering. After you're completely inside the station, the ceiling closes up above you, and you find yourself in a very dimly lit cargo bay with six lifeforms standing outside looking in your direction. These life forms are, let's see, some of them are dulons which I imagine you've all seen before, seen pictures before. They're common enough in the League of Planets. A Dulonian is a humanoid who stands about two feet or 0.6 meters tall. They are hairless and they have cyborg implants sticking out of their head. Not like full-on Borg-like things, Mm -hmm. but it's normal enough to see one or two little cybernetic implants sticking out here and there on them. And let's see, there's two female Dulons and a male Dulon looking up at your ship. There's also one Lorndon scientist looking up at your ship, a female human and a Zornardian male. And Zornardians are also people you would be familiar with. They're a species of humanoids about the same height and stature as humans, except they're covered in thick fur. They have long claws on their hands and feet, and they're uh, renowned for their exceptional night vision. And these folks are all wearing white, science-y type robes, except for one of the Dulon females is wearing overalls, but real tiny ones. Mm-hmm. Appropriate for her tiny size. And yeah, they're all looking up at you expectantly.
2: Well, I guess we leave the ship. We disembark. <laughs> I disembark. I don't know if everybody's following with me. I get out of our even more broken ship.
4: I follow cautiously. Same. Yeah. All
3: right, as you manually open the cargo bay doors, because they're no longer responding to the mechanisms, one of the female doolons walks up to you and says, Hello! Welcome! I'm lead scientist Sihi Fee, and I am in charge of this facility. Have you brought the power cores?
2: Hello, yes. Indeed we have.
3: Good, good. The antimatter power cores need to be installed post-haste.
2: Oh, no, we brought computers.
3: Computers? We need power cores, we're out- Wait, computer- the supercomputers from Lornda?
2: Yes, ten of them.
3: We ordered those a year ago. Oh, no. She turns and looks back at the other scientists who all respond with worried looks. Do you know if anyone has received our order for power cores? Antimatter power cores.
2: I don't, but I suspect- it has something to do with the immense gravity that you've created here that time has slowed for you. Oh. And I guess now for us as well.
3: I'm afraid it's the other way around. Time is accelerated for us compared to the rest of the galaxy.
2: That's what I meant. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you've no doubt realized as you pass through the time differential field and your ship was torn apart, almost, that, yeah, we're in a time bubble here. And the only way to stop it is to generate an immense amount of power to activate the scientific equipment that caused the time bubble in the first place. And we were really desperately hoping that the outside world got our distress signals that we've been broadcasting, asking for antimatter power cores to do that.
2: Yeah, No. There's been no distress calls.
3: Well, if you don't have the antimatter power course, why did you come to the station? We specifically transmitted, and we slowed it way down so that you would be able to hear, not to approach because of the danger.
2: Yeah, it just seemed like a beep to us. Listen, um...
3: <laughs> this- it didn't work. No. We slowed it down. We talked really slowly. Yeah. Yeah,
2: this is great. Well... You've got 10 supercomputers. Maybe they
3: can help. We don't have the power to run them. The station's supposed to be powered by giant solar panels. But since time in here is going so much faster than time is going where the stars are, the amount of light that is actually getting through the panels is too little to run the station. We're barely able to keep the life support system going on emergency power. We don't have any electricity to run the supercomputers, or much of anything.
2: Well, (laughs) do you have any sort of escape pods or any sort of ships on the station?
3: We sent one of the escape pods out unmanned as a test, and it was ripped apart as it tried to go through the barrier between the time bubble and the outside time. This is your ship experience. There's a stretching and compressing as... Half the ship is going at a different speed and a different relative time than the other half as you cross the barrier.
2: Yeah. Is it called time dilation? Is that what we're looking at?
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. That's yeah. fine. Yes. I didn't yeah. know what level of scientific speech well, to use for you. but yeah.
2: yeah, yeah.
3: The bottom line is we can't leave. None of our ships are able to get out without being torn apart.
2: Well, here's what I think. We're going to start unloading these supercomputers. And I think you smart science types need to figure out how we can survive destroying the station.
3: Destroying the station? Yes. (laughs) That's madness.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have no idea. (laughs) Because we've got several new crew that are going to put a real strain on your life support systems if we can't get away.
3: Oh my goodness.
2: Maybe you should have spent less time figuring if you could do this. Spent more time figuring if you should. <laughs> Heard it in a movie somewhere. <laughs> this may have been a lofty science mistake.
3: Well, oh, it sounds like a very wise movie that taught you these important to life lessons. A
2: cautionary tale, yes. yes. Cautionary <laughs> tale. In that same vein, our lives will find a way. So let's go
3: ahead.
2: Come help us get these computers off and hook them together and, and let's figure out how we're going to get out of this mess.
3: Very well. Let me uh, introduce ourselves since you may be here for a while. I am lead scientist, Fee. and this is the man responsible for our current predicament. <laughs> and she's pointing to the Lorndon and she says, that's Harvu Urs. He created the time bubble. And harvu walks up to you and says, as well as I've explained several times, I simply exceeded my expectations. The time bubble was an even greater success than I had imagined. And that's why we're having this spot of trouble here. It's fantastic. If you say I was creating a time bubble, it was supposed to be very small. But instead, my brain is so powerful that it couldn't contain the time bubble and it extended to the size of the space station and, and slightly beyond in the sea. So, you see, it was actually more successful yeah. than I had planned. So, we really – we shouldn't call this a mistake. We should call this a happy accident.
2: Well, congratulations. We're all going to die.
3: Can we maybe
1: start writing letters or making phone calls to our intergalactic senators to maybe put a ban on Lorden's doing any <laughs> sort of science whatsoever? <laughs>
2: It's funny, Kyan, that you bring this up, because I'd like to introduce my crew, or as I like to call them, the people responsible for why we're in this situation. Because I wanted to black market sell these computers and never come here. (laughs) Because said there's probably a Lorndon on this station, and they're doing bad science. But oh no, we don't want to get in the way of science, and now this is where we die.
3: (laughs) Joe is laughing. Kyan feels kind of like crap. (laughs) Are you guys having that back and forth? In
2: front of uh, that? Yes. yes. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed.
3: Oh God. <laughs> oh God.
4: Sorry, Mom.
3: I'm gonna roll
1: 1D6, <laughs> feelings hurt damage. <laughs> Emotional
3: pain. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs>
2: Science is always good. We love science. Stretch is always helpful. We won't do anything to get in the way of science.
4: It feels really, really bad that he didn't at least have a, an opinion about this. I was just like, I don't, I, just, I
2: don't Oh, God. They don't even need the computers.
4: They're paperweights.
2: They're meaningless. They're going to take up more power running them than we can afford.
4: Oh, well,
0: Captain, I can see that you're quite hysterical. <laughs> so I shall not remind you of all the times that science has already saved our lives so far since I hooked up with you. The scientific method has proved invaluable in a number of uh,
4: operations that we have performed so far. Hank's eyebrow shoot to the ceiling. Hooked up, huh? Just kind of, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Rico, if you could... Maybe take the captain like off to the side and see if you could calm her down. And I'm going to talk to these guys and see if maybe we can come up with a power source.
0: I think you should take the captain to one side. You're her friend. I should go and speak to the science people. Yes,
2: yeah, so let all the sciencing commence. Let's see how we can make this even worse.
4: <laughs> okay, Plan C. <laughs> Kion, you're responsible for this. You take the captain and we'll figure out a power source.
0: Yes, leave the captain with Kion. That's an extremely good idea. Rico just turns on a heel and like stalks towards the science people. (laughs)
1: Cayenne folds all four of his (laughs) arms and stalks towards the ship. And she may follow him if she wants.
2: (laughs) You see, the, the captain goes and just sits down on a crate. And it's just muttering to herself, like, I, I this. no one listens to me. No one ever listens to me. I tell you how things are going to be. No one believes me. No matter how much evidence, I thought scientists liked evidence. I thought we had a whole data set of how things have been going. And they're not listening to me. They're going to make up their own lofty ideas about how wonderful science is. Well, science is the reason why we're here. <laughs> that it just continues.
4: And on and on and on.
0: So... <laughs> <laughs> Scientists! Hello, scientists! It's lovely to meet you. <laughs> My name is Rachel. Uh This is uh, this is Hank, who seems to have followed me over here. It's, uh, Hank is an engineer. Maybe we can help with your little electricity problem.
3: Oh, very good. It's it, it's wonderful. And this is uh, lead scientist, Sihi Fee. Uh, it, it's wonderful to know that there are some science and engineering-minded people Among your crew.
0: Just don't worry about about the captain.
3: When we realized what had happened, we were all very upset as well. I I certainly understand where she's coming from. We've had over a year to get used to the idea.
0: Oh, a year? Gosh. Do you have any idea how much uh, time dilation, uh, what sort of uh, interval you're suffering from? Uh, Do you know
3: how fast you're moving compared to other people? Well, it appears to fluctuate. Oh. Initially, we were only going... About 50% faster than the rest of the universe, and that's when we calibrated our communication system. But if you were reporting that the communications we sent you still sounded like just short beeps, then clearly time has increased for us.
4: No, no. One beep. One beep. One beep. One beep.
3: Then time must be going even faster than that now for us. Yes.
0: When we were first informed about the job of delivering the supercomputers, it was probably about six weeks ago. Yeah, that's pretty close. Probably about six weeks ago in standard time. And I didn't get the sense that it had taken a long time for the job offer to be put through to us. Gosh, if you've experienced a year since you sent that order, that's, um, well, that's quite an acceleration.
3: This is quite alarming. If the time distortion is increasing and time is accelerating more and more in here, then at a certain point, we'll die of old age before anyone can come help us. Well, that's a cheery thought.
0: Um, So you know what the solution to your problem is? You need power?
3: She looks over at the Lorndon Harvu Earth, and he says, let me start at the beginning. I had a dream to create an even faster supercomputer than we're able to. By using time acceleration to cheat the universe, I was going to take a supercomputer and create a small accelerated time bubble around the computer so that we could give it a job to do. And in its accelerated time, it would do the job twice as fast relative to us as it would normally do. So without engineering a faster computer, we could still create computers that processed faster. Do you see the genius
4: in that? While he takes a a breath to speak, Hank's going to lean over to Rico and cup a hand over his mouth and whisper to her, do you think he could manipulate time to turn this into a montage so we could get to solving the problem?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Rico's flicking her ears in annoyance slightly. Uh, Well, I can certainly see something.
3: Yes. What I failed to account for was how the gravitational fields of the trinary star system, while making it possible, they also affected it in ways I didn't imagine, including the fact that the gravitational fields are apparently sustaining the time bubble, even though we lost power to the chrono modification field generator over a year ago.
0: Oh, dear. You didn't account for the effects of gravity when working in a gravity specialist space center.
3: I did. I did. All right. I believe that the sensors on the station that were monitoring the stars were faulty, and it is the station's fault. It's not my fault. My math skills are exceptional.
0: Right. Okay. Well, let's put that on one side for a moment, shall we? We are where we are. Um, So you want to get your power back online, and you think that would reverse the effect?
3: Well, we could reactivate the chrono-modification field generator, and then I could simply run it in a dissipating mode to deactivate the bubble and return us to normal time. Yes, that's what he's been
0: saying. She turns to the other scientist, and how confident are you that that would be the right solution to the problem?
3: The human female steps forward and says, oh, hello. I'm Cynthia, Cynthia Kanor, and I've been trying to assist with this for some time. My research focuses on using gravity to create energy. And I was actually hoping to then reverse the process and use energy to create gravity so that I could generate better artificial gravity fields and tractor beams and stuff like that. Anyway, I'm focusing more now on the gravity to energy portion in the hopes of activating his scientific equipment, his Chrono Modification Field Generator. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that if we could produce power, then we'd have a shot at fixing all this. So yes, I agree with it.
0: Are all of your scientists in agreement?
3: The male Dulon steps forward and says, I'm medical doctor Har Fudal. I don't have any idea. Huh. Time is not in my field of expertise.
0: Well, if you'd like to go and talk to another medical doctor, I think I was just stormed back towards the ship.
3: Oh, I thought she was the captain.
0: No, no, the one with the forearms. Really? Yes, the Matorb. His name's Coyun. He's a medical doctor. You might enjoy
3: a conversation. How long have we been in this time bubble? (laughs) And the Zornardian, the uh, furry humanoid, steps forward and says, Oh, Oh. I'm Jaxu Fangalore. I agree.
0: Okay. So, Hank, how are we going to get these people some power? That seems like an engineering sort of a problem. Yeah, I agree. Is Chipcom offline? I suppose he is.
4: Yes. When we lost power, he lost power. So I think what we could do, and scientists, stop me if I'm misspeaking here, but is all of your power from solar arrays or do you have any, any type of alternative potential that you know of?
3: a female Dulon, the only person who hasn't spoken yet, the one wearing the overalls, steps forward and says, I'm the chief engineer of this station. My name's Arg Barzu. The solar panels were supposed to be the primary power source. We do have backup batteries, which we've been running on for over a year, and they're nearly depleted. We don't have any other power generation systems that are functioning
4: All right, out of character. (laughs) Does anybody remember how our chlorofluoro funky drives work? Uh
3: Yeah, there's an organic material that is created by microorganisms that your engines use as fuel.
4: And we have a ready supply of these microorganisms?
3: Yeah, on the ship, there is a big vat of these microorganisms that turn waste products, you know, poo and... what have you, into fuel for the engines. Okay. So far, we haven't really dealt with refueling or whatnot, but it's basically a self-sustaining system.
4: We're about to have to figure out how to redesign this system. Okay, Um. so Delphi, was that her name? The engineer?
3: She's Argbar Zoo.
4: Where did I get Delphi from? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Argbar. Um, our power systems on the ship rely on chloro-whatever technology. <laughs> we have chloro drives on the ship and i'm wondering if we can perhaps together repurpose them to first off repower your batteries and maybe in conjunction with what solar energy we're getting in power up this machine it's certainly worth a try
3: let's take a look and see if your engines even work after passing through the bubble
4: and i will show her towards the engineering
2: Next time on Cautious Optimism.
4: How come us humanoids weren't ripped apart? You're a little concerned
3: about the neurons in the brain and throughout the nervous system. They all have little tiny breaks.
4: Once I'm able to fix the chloro drives, maybe we could create a sustainable source so that they could get that crazy drive back online.
2: This space station, either way, is going to have to be dismantled from the inside.
1: You've been listening to As The Dice Roll. The As The Dice Roll intro music is The Soap Opera by James Bowers. You can find and license his music through Pond5 at Pond5.com. All the rest of the music in this episode is by Darren Curtis and can be found at DarrenCurtisMusic.com. The opening voiceover is by our very own Rob Sometimes. You can find his podcast at comicbox.libsen.com. And the As The Dice Roll logo was created by Marcel Edwards. Check out her book, No Great Matter, at MsEdwards.com. As The Dice Roll is a proud member of the geek to geek Media Network. Check out other geek to geek shows, streams, and content at geek 2 If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to podcast at asthedicerollcast.com. Individual players and GMs' social media can be found on our website at asthedicerollcast.com.